to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com hey slutty scholars happy holidays this is the last episode of the season thank you so much to all of you dear listeners without whom i would not be able to keep making this show this season we have covered everything from back to the basics to some extra slutty goodness to sex and culture and sex and parenting thank you also to my awesome guests for the work you do and just being so amazing all around i loved getting to chat with you all don't forget to please show your love with a five star or written review on apple podcasts or wherever you're able to it really helps in so many ways As a thank you, I wanted to offer you $10 off of a ticket to my upcoming retreat, The Pleasure Connection. Use discount code PLEASURE with a capital P when you check out at thepleasureconnection.eventbrite.com. This retreat is a two-day non-residential retreat held in Malibu, California, happening on February 4th and 5th. It is an event for individuals and partners to help transform and elevate your sex life. Again, for $10 off, use discount code PLEASURE with a capital P during checkout at thepleasureconnection.eventbrite.com. Okay, and before we get to the episode, I have a little trailer to share with you. In case you didn't know, this show is a proud member of the Pleasure Podcast Network, which features some of the top sex and relationship podcasts in the world. I am all about supporting other folks and resources that feature conversations about sexuality and pleasure, duh. So I wanted to give you a little teaser for one of the other podcasts in my network. Listen up to learn about one of my favorite podcasts, Sex Talk with My Mom. It features the founder of the the Pleasure Podcast Network, Cam, and his mom, Karen Lee, and they're fucking hilarious. Check it out and go give their episodes a listen. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am excited to welcome Yana Talon-Hicks, LMFT. Uh, She's a couples and relationship therapist and consent and sex sexuality writer and educator living in Western Massachusetts. Her book, new book, Hot and Unbothered, How to Think About, Talk About, and Have the Sex You Really Want, is now available wherever you buy books. Today, we are going to be talking about lasting pleasure, especially when you are a parent. We will also be covering kinky and non-monogamous parents. Welcome, Yana. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, so glad to have you. Okay, so your new book helps folks find and maintain the sex they want to be having. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine as sex therapists, we both know that committing to this takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading the book and doing the exercises takes time. I have a lot of clients who, even without children, myself included, struggle to commit the time it takes to have and maintain great sex. And then I imagine parents. How? <laughs> <laughs> uh scheduling (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about that though do you feel like do you feel like um yeah let's talk more about scheduling I think it's it's hard and Mm -hmm. and a lot of people like aren't ready to maybe make the commitment to make that a priority right um I think like I mean 
I don't know if you do this with your clients, but a lot of the time when I feel like clients are in any kind of quote unquote dry spell, mm-hmm. I talk to them about like, how do they time out sex, right? Like what's their sex schedule look like, whether or not they have kids. And I think for a lot of people, if they don't already do that, it feels kind of like a turnoff because yes, they're, they're like, like, well, I want it to be spontaneous. Right. So we have like this myth that like desire operates, that it always operates spontaneously which isn't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people actually feel responsive desire, which is a concept that was covered really heavily in Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are. Yep. Um, and responsive desire, essentially, in a nutshell, looks like, am I in a sexual context? And then that's how I feel desire or sexual um, versus kind of just like walking down the street and being like, you know, it sounds like a great idea, sex. Um, and some people might feel like a mix of the two, but like, if you are somebody with responsive desire, scheduling sex is going to be even more important because you want to have a time to set up that sexual context so that your desire can turn on. Um, but I think when I'm talking to parents, it's like, okay, if we're relying on this myth that, that everybody involved in the sexual interaction is going to feel desire. Yeah. And that as soon as I change the diaper and, you know, we clean the house and we're tired, like, whoa, I'm just so interested in sucking your dick right now. For some people. For some, yes. For some people. Good for you. For some people, dick sucking is a great stress reliever and having a small baby is very stressful. But I think for a lot of people, if we're relying on desire being spontaneous for everybody mm-hmm. at the same time for everybody, the desire for the same types of sex, the desire for the same flavor of sex. Like if we're talking about kinksters, et cetera, yeah. um, that, you know, your chances of all of that aligning while you also have a child to maintain <laughs> and keep alive is low. So yeah. I'm like, okay, we'll put it on the schedule, but you know, when does your child take a nap? Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but no, I think the scheduling is key. I, I know I've probably said this on the podcast before, but I had an old teacher who would call it scheduling spontaneity. Because mm. um, I don't I don't love the idea of like scheduling sex because then it has this pressure of like, well, we if we schedule this, then we have to have a certain kind of whatever sex is supposed to be or look like. Mm-hmm. But if we can kind of broaden that definition to like this is our connected pleasure time and we're sort of scheduling spontaneity and that when we get to that time, we know we've carved it out, but then we can kind of negotiate what we are wanting mm-hmm. um, or even like build towards that in the week. Um, I really like that concept of like scheduling spontane- spontaneity or scheduling pleasure time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I do something, I don't call it that necessarily, but I do something similar where I'm like, okay, what's your plan B? Because mm. the last thing we want is for, you know, Saturday at two o'clock to roll around and someone be like, I don't actually want to have sex, but I have to, because this is our scheduled time. Mm-hmm. That's stressful and that's pressure. And sometimes stress and pressure does not turn people on. Yeah. So your plan B, like you're saying might be like, okay, how else do you feel connected? Like, mm-hmm. don't just be like, oh, we don't feel like having sex. So let's just like clean the house. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, unless that's really sexy, out. unless that's really <laughs> sexy to you. <laughs> right. But like do a massage thing or like read erotica together or like, yeah just like shoot the shit about your life because I think it's really hard to connect when a kid is in the mix. Yeah. I really liked what you said earlier that like some people do find pleasure and sex to be a stress reliever and it can be a great one, but sometimes people need to feel 
de-stressed before they turn to it. And sometimes people turn to it to de-stress. This Mm -hmm. is something that I struggle with with a lot or that a lot of couples I work with struggle with because usually one is one and one is the other where Mm -hmm. one is like, oh, I really want to connect with you. This would be so nice to de-stress. And the other is like, I can't even fathom thinking about that until after all of these things are met and my body's in a relaxed state. Mm -hmm. Um, Any tips for that difference? Yeah. I mean, I think like, I think sometimes, and I don't know if you find this with your clients that even just having the conversation around like what motivates you to have sex, Mm. I think people don't have that conversation a lot. Like they make a lot of assumptions like, Oh, I want to have sex as a way to like relieve stress, or I want to have sex as a way to express my love for you. Or I want to have sex because I have a headache you know, (laughs) or whatever. And I think they assume the other person is sort of matched up. Yeah. And so like, I think also like it's not everyone's going to be like one type of motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like even just talking about that can be really helpful because then you're like, oh, okay. Like I don't have to have everything doesn't need to be perfect in like my setting or my motivation in order for sex to be justified. Like it's okay to just be like, I'm taking care of myself by having sex. Yeah. And I think that you know, I am one of those people who is extremely type A. I want all my stuff to be like situated and done before I can relax. Mm. And as a parent, my kid is three. So he's very, uh, hands-on like parenting. Yeah. Like I can't, like, I'm not going to have a perfectly clean house before my sex date. So if you're you're waiting for that, it's never going to happen. Yeah. So I need to work on letting some of that stuff go. Oh, anything that's been helpful for you and letting some of that go? I mean, I think like I'm organically somebody who prioritizes sex in my life. So, which I guess isn't that surprising. (laughs) (laughs) I'm shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, But so I think like, to me, I'm like, okay, this feels like a priority to me to maintain. Mm -hmm. And I also think that I know that it's like, your time when you're a parent becomes so precious, you know, you're like, I can't believe, and I remember talking to other parents before I had my kid. I was like, how do you do all this in one day? Like, how do you get everything done? It's like, well, first of all, most you kids don't. wake up <laughs> at like six in the freaking morning. So you have like all this extra time. <laughs> do you think that's because people put them to bed so early? I'm like, you can sleep when I will sleep. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so here's the thing though. My kid goes to bed at like seven thirty or eight. And then I go to bed around like 10 mm-hmm. and those two hours. That's your time. It is so important. I like need those yeah. hours, <laughs> but I know some kids that go to bed at 10. I need to definitely post that video clip because I felt the need in your face when you said, <laughs> I need that time. Listen, I need, <laughs> Listen. I need it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's like, I do a lot during those two hours too. I like clean the house. I get ready for the next day for school. I do yoga every night. I watch my TV shows. I text my people and catch up with everybody, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I will also just say I'm in a a co-parenting relationship. So I have 50, 50 custody of my kid, Mm. which has, and I did, that was not always the case, but that shift has been amazing in terms of like budgeting my time for myself and getting my things done and like all that stuff. Um, but I definitely have also been in the like a hundred percent babies in the house mm. <laughs> arrangement, which is also hard. 
Well, this makes me wonder how non-monogamy in general can mm. improve what you're talking about, improve mm. potential like co-parenting and breaks, because that really is how we like evolved more to be like living more in community space where there were lots of people to take mm-hmm. care of the children. Um, how do you feel like non-monogamy fits, fits into all of this? Yeah. I mean, I was just reading some like history of non-monogamy stuff, um, for research for my next book. Hey, but- already coming up with the next one. Nice. Get it. I mean, the thing about the first one though, is that I would finish writing this book like a year and a half ago. Publishing is just like yeah. a long process. So totally. it's really funny because people are like, wow, you're already working on your next one. I'm like, it's been a it's long been time. So long. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, sure. Congrats. So I think like, so if I'm pop quizzing myself correctly, it was like before like modern agriculture was a thing mm-hmm. and like the right. nuclear family became a thing. We like pooled all of our resources. We lived in little villages. Everybody took care of the kids, blah, 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 blah. And it was like, pretty traditional in a lot of places for sex and affection and partnership to also be looked at like a communal resource, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe not in the same way that like modern terminology around ethical non-monogamy is happening. Yeah. Yeah, But to like have everyone invested. Right. Like we're all, you know, takes a village to get all the parents laid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great quote. (laughs) Yes. And so like, I think some people continue to figure that out. And like, I have like, I have a bunch of friends who are like in triads and there's like one kid or like two kids, or there was like five adults in the relationship and two kids. And I'm like, listen, the ratio of like three adults to one kid feels so correct. Yes. Right. (laughs) Totally. You're like, you got all your hands on deck. You have like time to yourselves. You have a little space or whatever. Um, and also like, sometimes I feel like a monster when I'm like, co-parenting is amazing. I have like all my space to myself. Like, obviously I miss my kid when he's not here. And when I do parent, I can just be like 110% available yeah. to him. I do feel like you have to say that, that you miss your kid. Like, I feel like there's such a, I think there's a gender component as well here too, that you might agree with like in our culture, but I do feel like there's not a lot of permission for people to express, especially mothers to express like the nice parts about not parenting or missing singleness or like missing Mm -hmm. childlessness or having your kid go away. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's that it's okay to like need and want that time. Yeah. I know. Like when, when I was pregnant, a friend of mine was like, you know, it's very normal to feel ambivalent about parenthood. Mm. And I was like, and at the time before I had my kid, I was like, Oh, that's kind of edgy, you know, to be like, (laughs) that's some edge play right there. (laughs) Yeah. Or like, you're like, maybe I don't want to be a parent. Um, and then when I became a parent, I had really bad postpartum depression. So I was just like, I was like, shit, this kind of sucks. Like not into it. But because I had friends that were very honest and open about talking about like, yeah, like parenting's fucking hard. Like it changes your whole life. Like you have to grieve like your single childless lifestyle and like a lot changes. And like, not everybody takes like a fish to water to that because I had those conversations in my arena. I can be like, okay, like, it's okay for me to feel this way. Like this doesn't make me a bad parent. This doesn't make me a bad person. This is just like part of the deal. Um, and I'm learning too. like, I've only had my kid for three years, but like infancy, not my bag, toddlerhood, (laughs) 
I fucking love. Yeah, everyone has their their so bag. Fun. I know a lot of people are like terrible twos, three teenagers, like, oh, they have so many opinions. I'm like, I love that he has an opinion. He's like communicating, he's funny. Yeah. He told me his first joke the other day. <gasps> can you share? Oh, uh, yes, I can. It goes, <laughs> it says, um, why did the egg go to the doctor? Why? Because he was cracking up. <laughs> <laughs> and this kid came up with that themselves? No, 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 no. Somebody at school taught him that. But, but they like understood that it was a joke and were yes. like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. they're becoming, you know, more of a human. I know. He told me that joke in the car and I was like, what's going on? What are you talking about? And then I was like, oh, you're telling me a joke. That's so cute. <laughs> Must be hard sometimes though to like, like, yes, that is objectively a cute, funny joke. But like when they tell you jokes that aren't funny and you're like, yeah i mean he's like at this age where like everything he says is so freaking cute because he's like just learning how to talk so Mm -hmm. it's like the way that he's saying stuff is just like yeah ridiculous it's ridiculous i mean he said the word fucking the other day (laughs) and it was like the cutest thing i've ever heard but i also had to be like listen fucking is a word for adults kids don't say that word and he was like okay i was like you can say freaking and he was like okay (laughs) oh wow okay very receptive yeah i mean on the on the topic of like when to talk to children about certain things when do you feel like feels like the right timing to talk to kids about things like kink and non-monogamy if you're Mm -hmm. you know needing that for your your parent time Uh uh-huh yeah i mean again like my kid is three so i have only my personal barometer runs to three um I feel like, and it depends, like I work with a lot of non-monogamous couples with kids or non-monogamous relationship structures with kids. And I have some of those in my personal life too. And it's interesting to see different people approach the non-monogamy part in different ways. Yeah. Um, So I have some people who like, they don't talk about it. Like their non-monogamy stuff is totally separate. Yeah. Um, And I have other people who have talked about it their kids entire lives and their kids will be like playing with dolls and like you know some other kid will be like there's a mom and a dad and the other one's like there's a mom and a dad and a girlfriend or something you know yeah um i know that there's like i always forget the actual title something about colors the color of love maybe is what it's called oh i don't know about that one it's a children's book um that's about non-monogamy oh i'm Um, sure it is listed shout out to past guest uh for sex positive families a lot of great listings on there for this but i'm guessing it's on there yes yeah probably um so i think like a lot of the non-monogamy part is interesting because i think it's important for kids to understand who are the trusted adults in their life and like who is part of their family unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's important. I think that like when kids are little, like my kid is, it's important for him to understand like who are the trusted adults in his life, but is it important for him to understand how we're relating to them all the time? Maybe not. Yeah. I think um, that maybe comes a little older. Yeah. I also think like it really depends on your kid, right? So like some people have said like, would it be okay for my teenager to read your book? I'm like, well, that depends on your teenager. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a teenager, I would have loved to have this book. But like, if you put a bunch of 15 year olds in a room together, they're all going to have way different concepts of what sex is. And they're going to have way different concepts of like, are they interested in the topic at all? Mm-hmm. 
I think that like taking your kid's lead is really important. So like, let's say like kink wise, like I'm not, and I'm sure like some conservative internet trolls might be like, so scared about a sex educator raising a kid or something. I mean, yes, I think that's important to bring up that there's like, you know, there's still that fear that a lot of people have that like this is going to mess them up or whatever. Uh And there's no, there's no research or anything or even anecdotal to really show that, you know, that the more open dialogue, um, obviously there's a big difference between like oversharing and demonstrating mm-hmm. things at a young age when it's not age appropriate. Like you're mm-hmm. not going to like show a three-year-old how to properly like use a flogger, but like, <laughs> you know, you might say like, there's different ways that like people who care about each other, like express themselves and like to play and be creative. And like, sometimes mom and dad or mom and mom do that. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's very different and, and a sort of early young way to start the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause otherwise they're still going to find out like, mm-hmm. you know, kids are pretty perceptive. Yeah. Well, I think like the general rule of thumb for me too, is like, if your kid ha- is old enough to Google something on the internet and has access to internet when you're not around, it's time to talk to them about porn in some way. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be like, people think that these sex talks have to be like long and explicit and detailed. And that's not necessarily true. Like, and also not how be... people take in information. That's like too right. much information all at once. If you're just being like the one talk. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I think, like, for me at least, like, the goal of a porn, an initial porn conversation is just to be like, porn exists. Let's all acknowledge, like, I, like, as your parent, like, I know it's a thing. (laughs) This is not like a secret. I found this thing that mom doesn't know about. Like, (laughs) I know. And also, like, that's how I felt about AOL chat rooms. But in fairness, like, my mom really didn't know because she's not a computer person. But now most of us know. Yes. And I'm sure there will be things that my kid is doing that I don't know about. But the the hope there is that we would have enough smaller conversations that he would know that he can talk to me. Right. That's one of my goals is to keep the lines of communication open. But I think like the initial goal of the porn conversation is just we know it exists. It's a fantasy entertainment for adults. It's not usually a realistic depiction of what sex is. And if you have questions, let me know. Mm That would be my approach. Yeah. I don't think that's 20 seconds. Um, I also think like for me in terms of like, like I don't, I can't imagine talking to my kid about kink unless he initiated a conversation or had a question. Mm. Um, but I think that to me, I think a lot about like what are foundational aspects of like consent forward, pleasure-based sex and sexuality and how can I make those foundations age appropriate to my kid. So for example, I, I do not personally, uh, condone people like whispering about sex around him or like not saying the word sex around him. Um, I wouldn't want us to talk like super explicitly about like what we did, Mm -hmm. but I think saying the word sex and making it like, Oh, (laughs) yeah. Cause that's just this, this taboo thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, like, I want my kid to be able to talk about that stuff and feel comfortable and not, not shamed. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I have copies of my book lying around and people are like, Oh, like, did your kid flip through your book? I mean, he's three years old. He can't read his, his rendition of the book is mama wrote this. It has letters and numbers. And I say, that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that should be the review of the book. <laughs> yeah. That's going on the next, uh, cover edition. Yeah. 
That's the um, summary. But, you know, like for me, I'm also like, okay, I want him to be in tune with his own body and what his body feels like. I want him to know that I'm a safe person to talk to. And mm-hmm. I want him to be able to listen to people and ask them questions. Yeah. So like the way that we do that is like, if he's getting in a bath, I'm like, how does the water feel? Do you want it warmer or colder? And he gets to decide and I respond and I do it. And then yeah. I ask, how does it Just feel Just teaching now? early bodily autonomy. Totally. And then the other part is like, I have a dog and he's a small dog. He's small and elderly. And Rocco has learned that he has um, a couple pounds on the dog. And we'll like, you know, rough him up. And I'm like, hey, man, like, look at what the dog, like, look at what he looks like. Does Mm -hmm. he look like he's having fun and enjoying your game? Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't think he likes that game. And I just did that this morning. And he goes, I like the game. And I was like, well, you do, but he doesn't. And so it's not fun if it's just one of you like. Yes. And that's literally (laughs) a sex conversation without talking about sex. Totally. So I'm just like, okay, how do we extrapolate this out into the future for him? And it's also really important to me that like he is aware of what his body parts are actually called. Like we're not doing any like wee wee hoo hoo shit over here. Yeah. Because he needs to be able to communicate if something's going on with his body. And I want him to not feel like it's a secret because mm-hmm. like, let's say he grows up to be a, another white cis dude in the world. I don't want him to feel like that, like, seed planted of like shame bad if i want something i have to get it by force or i have mm-hmm. to manipulate it to have it mm-hmm. i just want him to know that it, this stuff is available to him if he can talk about it as a non-parent does that feel like so much pressure um not for me because i think like a lot of the stuff i've thought about that's your you know yeah, that's for your a long jam time. yeah um i think like i mean parenting is like so intense Like, I just like never would have known it was like, so wild, you know, like I've heard people say, having a child is like having your heart walking around outside of your body. And Mm -hmm. you're just like, how do I (laughs) navigate the unknown this way? So that I feel like is far scarier to me than teaching my kid how to say penis. (laughs) You're like, I got that one unlocked. I got that one. That one's fine. So since recording this episode, Yana and I actually got invited to present at an upcoming event. We'll be speaking at Residence 11's first annual Desire Summit happening on February 11th, 2023. We'll be in person in Los Angeles and live streaming around the world with sponsorships from partners like Fun Factory, Avon Books, Ganja Yoga, and every attendee gets an awesome swag bag. I am honored to be speaking alongside some amazing friends, colleagues, and past podcast guests like Dirty Lola, Aaron Tillman, Moshumi Ghosh, and more. Whether you're single or partnered, curious or experienced, we want to see you at Desire Summit. Check out the 2023 Desire Summit at summit.residence11.com. That's S-U-M-M-I-T dot R-E-S-I-D-E-N-C-E 11.com. Summit.residence11.com. Hope to see you there. Any tips for uh, kind of going back to our first question around like prioritizing, because obviously children have needs and Mm -hmm. any tips on sort of making those early boundaries to children about sacred parent or, or caregiver time, Mm -hmm. whether that be we're having sex or we're doing this other thing, like any tips on that? Yeah. I mean, I am like extremely pro having like 
I mean, it's not my household. I mean, I don't know. We'll see how this goes. My bedroom is connected to his, like with mm-hmm. a door, but it's shared. Like he has to walk through my room to get downstairs. Mm-hmm. We live in like a shotgun style house. Yeah. It's like, it's fine now, but like at some point, <laughs> at some point, not. <laughs> but I think if you can swing it, having your bedroom be adults only, I think is like, can be really nice. Yeah. Um, that's not realistic for everybody, but mm-hmm. I also think that like, if your kid is old enough to be like, Hey, like Sunday mornings for two hours, we're going to be in our room having personal connection time. Do not come in. Do not bother us unless it's an emergency. I think that's totally legit. You know, like my parents did that when we were kids and I remember them doing that. And it wasn't like, I was like, Oh, they're in there having sex, like weird. But like when I was an adult, I put two and two together and was like, Oh, Hey, that's great. They were doing that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, (laughs) okay. So my like dream, and again, I have to acknowledge, I'm saying this from someone who does not have children. So I don't know how feasible this is for everybody. I think it's different, obviously, depending on accessibility needs or whatever's going on. But, um, I think the dream would be to like, start a little mini book club with other parents where they read your book. And then maybe you can find those people in your area through my podcast network of community of people or somewhere else. And they all read the book and then they agree to be each other's like sex date sitters where they all like (laughs) sort of like creating this village, right. Where they get to trade off of like, okay, on Tuesday, you know, the the Yalan the Yalan Hicks like take the kids and then um that's like our sex night and then on Wednesday this is our sexual spontaneity night and then these folks watch the kids like I'm just mm-hmm. imagining a bunch of like sex positive parents supporting each other by being like we'll watch the kids while you fuck <laughs> sure. and taking turns there are like a couple things too that just like I feel like you asked me a question like a million years ago that I kind of like went on a tangent about, but there was something that's about, partly my fault. My uh, my ADHD listening no, is like that. is like oh and this and this and this. No, I do that all the time. I tell like four stories at the same time. It's really bad. yes. <laughs> we're um, going back to one story now. Oh, there was something about you were saying like what's the benefit of non-monogamy for parents mm-hmm. and something that I've heard a lot. And you, oh, this was, you were talking about gendered aspects, you know, of missing your kid or feeling like you have to be like, oh, every second I'm away from my child. I miss them so much. Yeah. Yeah, Like, no, like, (laughs) not true. Like he is at the end of the day, he's a person in my life. I don't want to be around a person in my life 24 seven. I don't care who they are. Mm. And having a good boundary is important, but I have heard from a lot of women and moms in particular who are non-monogamous that something that they love about non-monogamy is let's say they're in an arrangement where they have um, their, let's say they're in a nuclear family arrangement where they have like their husband and it's them and their children. They can go have sex with their other partner and they're not in the mom mode. Mm-hmm. They're not the mother of your children. Mm-hmm. They're not in a home where their children might need something from them. They are not being viewed as like, um, like a parental figure or parental partner. They're being viewed as a sexual person, as a romantic partner. And that is it. And like, it's not saying that it's bad to be like, Oh, I want to have sex with you. And you're the mother of my child. That's a great feeling too. But I think there is something really wonderful for people that are like, I just do not have to be in this parental mode. Like, yeah. And this person doesn't see me as a mom. Yeah. In my sexual mode. I, I don't know how much you can speak to this, but I do think at least with clients I've worked with that that can sometimes 
you know, create room for having some tough discussions, because Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it can be hard to like, if you, if you do have a nesting partner or a co-parent, I think sometimes it can be hard to find that balance of like creating sexy time with them as well, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just the lover who you don't share the child with Mm -hmm. and, and sort of navigating those two very different energies. And this is true for people without children as well of like, well, I've been with you for six or seven years. And that connection is going to look very different than the new relationship energy with this Mm -hmm. new person I just connected with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like, I think it's important for people to acknowledge that like every relationship in a non-monogamous dynamic is going to be different. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also very normal for people to be like, man, like I miss when I was your hot piece of ass instead of like the parent of your child. Mm -hmm. And I think for me personally, best case scenario is that I'm both. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah, there is yeah. something where you're like, man, like, remember when we were like, before we were parents and we were just like on each other all the time and had all this time to be together. And now you're bringing that energy. You kind of can create that energy with a different person, but you might not be able to create that energy with me anymore. Mm-hmm. But Or it's that- just going to take more effort to manufacture, right? Like you said, maybe you have your your bedroom and that's just a parent's room. And maybe you go Mm -hmm. in there and you make sure you shower and get ready and put something on that is Mm -hmm. like not in your parental role. And you really create a ritual around code switching from parent to slut. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because you can be both, but I do think it, you know, to be able to shift that over definitely can take more effort. It seems like. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think like, Also, I think we have this sort of like social glorification of being sexually free and away from parental, like, you know, the whole Madonna whore complex where it's like, I'm either the nurturing mother of your child, or I'm like this sexy vixen that you want to have sex with. The whole point of my podcast is sluts and scholars. There you go. And so like, I think like, sometimes I think we glorify the slut part. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a parent, sometimes it's like, so relieving to have sex with other parents who like know what it's like to be fucking so bone tired and just be like let's just get this thing done and then go to bed at like 10 o'clock yeah or to date other parents that are it's like a no-brainer for them to prioritize their children and what their children need and so Mm -hmm. you can do the same thing or like you know, there's something really relieving about having sex with the other parent of your kid who like totally understands your body in that way where you were like pregnant or you had the kid or you like whatever. And obviously I'm talking a lot about like mom, dad, teens, but. For any team. Well, that's a good question. Do you think that there's any differences that need to be considered for more queer relationships? I think that queer relationships, I mean, Maybe this is a gross generalization, but I think that queer relationships culturally and socially have more built-in flexibility about what sex and sexual connection and parenthood look like. And Mm. because I think it's more custom built- Like there's already more permission given to having it challenge the status quo. Totally. So I think that flexibility helps people adapt to parenthood and sexuality in a different way. I have, I have seen it sometimes swing the other way, um, in situations where I think there's still some internalized, uh, shame of Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, we're already alternative in this way. So now the rest of our life has to look like 
by the book so that people don't judge us and stigmatize us further. So I have seen it go both ways, I feel like, and that's, that's a tough one. And Mm -hmm. that takes, I think, really looking at and examining with a, hopefully some support and therapist to like the internalized shame piece Mm -hmm. of feeling like you can't have multiple intersecting minorities, um, minority identities for fear Mm -hmm. of like what that will, what that will do. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we're yeah. a nice, normal family, right? <laughs> um, Two, I, like, wanted to talk about, like, kinky parents a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that kink in particular can take, like, a certain amount of, like, energy that I think is different than non-kinky sex. And I think that going back kind of full circle to scheduling sex. I think that if you want to do some big kink scene, you're going to have to schedule it Mm -hmm. because like there might be like, like for example, like noise might be a thing that you need to schedule for. Like maybe you need to get a hotel or you need to get a sitter. Who's like not in your home, you know, drop the kids off at your parents or whatever. That's why you have, if you don't prioritize it, it's not going to happen. Right. And you got to get all your gear ready. (laughs) Got the diaper bag and the kink bag. Exactly. You got to get all your bags situated. And see if I I ever have kids, my main concern is like how to deal with the daddy thing. Uh Uh-huh. Well, that's a big (laughs) deal. You cannot, father cannot be daddy because you're my daddy. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, there's a lot, you know, I don't want to say too much, but my kid doesn't call his dad daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, you can use dad, you can use papa, you can use something else. (laughs) Uh That's one part of it. Yeah. Um, then there's, um, like the power dynamic in general. Like, I think if you're talking about like daddy dynamics or any kind of power dynamic, really, sometimes there's a caregiving, like power play element to it. Mm -hmm. And when you're a parent, you are fucking caregiving like all damn day and so like it can be hard to divide that just caregiving energy Mm -hmm. you know like it's not like and for people like I always get very wary about people that don't understand kink that well but like to be clear consensual ethical kinksters are not getting confused about who is their actual child and who is their partner that they are like playing fantasy with Yes. That line is very clear. Yes. But I think like what doesn't get clear is just like the exhaustion that can be felt by like being like, okay, I'm going to hold this space for this person. I mean, I don't want to assume, but like you and I know that from being therapists all day, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't want my partners to be my clients, but I obviously exercise some of the tool. I try to exercise some of the good tools to use in my relationship. But at the end of the day, holding Mm -hmm. space for clients, it's hard to make space for that with a partner so Mm -hmm. i feel like same thing right it's like caregiving exhaustion i also think like kinky or not there's like touch overwhelm you know where your kid is hanging on you all damn day and then someone wants to touch your body and you're just like oh like just leave me alone like don't touch Mm -hmm. me any tips any tips for that because i have heard that a lot from parents of like i feel like someone wants something from me all day and Mm -hmm. now my partner even though i know it's different wants sex from me right um, and, and, you know, I, I think that's a, there's a lot to work and unpack there about like collaborative pleasure versus like, you're, I'm just giving you this thing cause you want it, but mm-hmm. like any tips for how to navigate that of like not feeling 
yeah, I guess reclaiming your body is your own when there's mm-hmm. a small child that needs and wants things from it. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's important, at least for me anyway, I found it's important to do things that help me get in touch with my own body by myself. Mm-hmm. So like for me, I like, like during things COVID, just for you. Yeah. During COVID, I started doing yoga at home every night. And I'm just like, this is what I do now. And sometimes it's like 9 30, 10 o'clock. I'm like, all right, here we go. It's yeah. like not easy, but it's important because I'm like, okay, this is me being with my body by myself. I am like taking care of my body, my physical self, and it's not being touched by other people. And that makes me feel more interested in receiving touch that's for me and isn't based on somebody else. Like Mm -hmm. you're saying, I think there's a lot to unpack around like sex feeling like a chore or like typically straight women feeling like they owe their husband sex in some way Mm -hmm. as an exchange for being married, um, which is a whole different situation. Yeah, whole other thing. But I think like if you're able to, in your mind for me and for a lot of clients that I talk to, it's like feeling deserving of adult touch. Mm -hmm. It's a different thing. Like my kid hanging off me, is a different situation than me being like, okay, how can I receive touch in a way that really feels like it's for me? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, I mean, I'll talk about this on other podcasts, but I think there's a like socioeconomic and class thing here as well too, of a lot of people feeling like the pleasure or the stuff for me can feel like a privilege if you don't have the money or the resources for other care help. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really see it as, even if it's a small thing, like this is a survival thing to have Mm -hmm. something that's for you and for pleasure, you know, um, Audre Lorde style as I've, if you've listened to the podcast before, but, um, yeah, before we wrap up, uh, you mentioned something that I'd love to touch on and it was sort of like having, I think something about like having tired parent sex. Um, (laughs) And so obviously you wrote a book on helping people to have better and more of the, you know, the sex and quality sex that they want over time. How do you feel about normalizing, um, mediocre sex and when Mm -hmm. is it important to be open to and accept uh that that happens sometimes versus when is there a need to be like this is too much mediocre too often Mm -hmm. yeah well i kind of think the way that i talk to my clients about this is i'm like a lot of people who have sex with each other a lot have their basic sex structure so like let's say me and a regular partner eventually you learn okay we go like this and we do this and we do this and we do this and we do this Mm -hmm. and then we do this and that's like the basic Then there's like stuff that you can build on the basic, like, or stuff that you can pare down, which is like, how do you know you're having a quickie? You have to know what your basic is. If you want to know what your quickie is, Mm -hmm. you have to know what your basic is. If you want to know what your like fancy birthday sex is or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think like when I like write this book, that's like how to have the sex that you want. I don't mean like every single time is going to. I, yeah, I don't mean like the goal is like, let's have sex for two hours and do all the creative things we could possibly think about. Sometimes being able to communicate about the sex that you want is saying, hey, I like really want to reconnect with you. Having sex with you helps me feel reconnected. I'm also so tired. Like, do you think we can just like have a quickie and then like snuggle? That is talking about the sex that you want to have. Yes. You know, so I think like getting in touch with like, giving yourself permission to have that type of sex and have it be okay. There was a study that I read about sex and aging that I feel like is similar to sex and parenting, where it's like your sex life is changing because the context of your lifestyle is changing. That, that said that people that decide that it's okay to have what they called in their study, good enough sex, 
mm-hmm. were happier with their sex lives as they got older because they were just like, you know what? This is what my body can do. This is what I'm available for. And like, that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Like this doesn't have to be this big production. Yeah. Well, I think what you said is key is the communicating about that and voicing that and also being in agreement about and accepting that sometimes the menu item or the thing that you get off the sex menu is the good enough sex. Mm-hmm. Because I think without saying it, then it's like, oh, I'm having sex that doesn't feel that great, but I'm not saying anything about it. We're not sort of naming you know, what we want and what we want for different times. And so I think having, you know, not every time is going to be the most mind-blowing time and that's okay. And if you're able to like talk about that and be accepting of that, that's where I think the key is as opposed to like, neither of us are acknowledging that we're not liking the sex we're having. And like, you know, there's shame that we should be doing it differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like sometimes when I get clients that are like, you know, I'm sure you get a ton of people that have this too, where it's like our desire for sex is different. Or most of the time it's someone coming in being like, my libido is too low. Mm. Right. They're like saying that they're, they're pointing at themselves as the problem. And it's the problem that they have a low libido, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of the time I'll be like, it's not a box like that. No, it's not a box like that. And I also am like, okay, are you having the kind of sex that you want to have? Is the sex available to you on the table? interesting or desirous to you because yeah. like you're not going to desire to have sex that's fucking boring yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like not the sex you want to have yeah the, the peggy the peggy Klein class model yeah yeah you're not going to desire to have it the end <laughs> well know? so that i guess when my advice and then i guess for parents or anyone is to continue to check in about that as things change to ask each other or ask yourselves what is sex worth having now and maybe mm-hmm. that will change when you're a parent cuz you're like okay maybe the sex worth having feels a little different now cuz i know that i'd rather have it than not have it mm-hmm. and so checking in how sex worth having might shift over the lifespan mhm yeah and i think like in the book too in chapter 6 is essentially like um a huge le- yes, no, maybe list. Do you use these with your clients? Yes. Love those. Would recommend all listeners. Can you see? Yes. Looks amazing. Um, so it's like many, many pages, but yes, no, maybe lists are essentially like they list a bunch of things that are possible to do during sex. You can go through them. And I know there are some book maybe. folks out there who are like writing in a book, but I like that you can write in your book. <laughs> oh, yeah, you style. Can, yeah. You can definitely write in my book. Yeah. Um, you also don't have to, you can skip the worksheets. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think for a lot of people, like long-term couples, especially where they're like, we don't really know what's going on with our sex life. I'm like, okay, let's do a little reboot survey. Like go do a yes, no, maybe list. And like, yeah, where are we at? Where are you at? Like, what do you want? What are you interested in? And I think that like, if you desire to have quote unquote boring sex, like if your desire is for 10 minutes of sex and then going to sleep, great. But like, if that's not what you are desiring, (laughs) then like change it. Yeah. Like I am all for like having 10 minutes of tired. Bore me to sleep. Yeah. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, then awesome. But I think like you're saying the issue is when that's not what one or both people actually want. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's yeah not acknowledged and accepted that like sometimes it happens that way and it's okay if it's not, you know. Yeah. The I don't understand amazing. why people are like, oh, I'm, I'm only going to be satisfied with my sexual interaction if it's two hours long and includes these 10 things. 
It's like, yeah. okay, if that's your bar, that then will be yes, infrequent, but that okay. Will be infrequent. If that's your bar and you have like two children under five, like good luck, fucking luck man, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> love that. Um, Yana, it's been uh, awesome getting to talk to you. I know that you are such a wealth of even more amazing knowledge and information that folks can get in your book and other places. Um, so how can people get in touch, follow your work, stay tuned for your next book mm-hmm. and the next one after that? <laughs> Great question. Um, okay, so my book is called Hot and Unbothered, How to Think About, Talk About, and Have the Sex You Really Want. It just came out in August. You can get it anywhere you buy books. There's also um, an Audible version on Audible. And I am at the underscore V spot, V like vagina on Instagram. That's where I am socially the most. My website is yanatellenhicks.com. You can work with me there, um, et cetera, et cetera. If you're in Vermont, come in for therapy. Excellent. And I will yeah. put all of those in the uh, show notes and listeners. Again, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at sluts and scholars uh, on Twitter at slut scholars. Um, very rarely on TikTok, but uh, every now and then, and then, yeah, we'll see. Uh, you can listen anyway, <laughs> listen anywhere you get your podcast or at sluts and scholars.com. And please don't forget to rate and review and check out those awesome advertiser discounts. Thank you so much. Yana. Thank you. 